for May 15th, 2017. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 463, The Emotional Transportation Business. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We are never happier than when we're hanging out together. We're uh, watching and enjoying or reading and enjoying and talking about uh, the things that we love. And boy, have we been enjoying each other this weekend, haven't we, guys? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, we just had uh, the Eurovision Grand Finals party at the Liberty in uh, New York City. And uh, boy, it was fun. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. I am here with Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. I've almost lost my voice. We were <laughs> shouting so much that whole time. Have you got a, a stash of Yogi tea? That, uh... <laughs> the official tea of uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance? <laughs> yeah, yes, that, I do. That's the <laughs> Yogi Honey Lemon Throat Comfort is the flavor. The and, official tea of Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Uh, Pete, Pete came to, uh, to New York via Subaru. I came to New York via uh, aeroplane. Uh, but Mark lives in New York, and he's with us now. Mark Lee, how are you? I, I'm exhausted from riding my blue little city bike from all over the city. <laughs> oh, you're really on trend with that, you know, with that municipal bike share, uh, municipal bike share program there. And I'm Matt Rather. Uh, and I, uh, I am probably back in, in Los Angeles now. No, it's, it's, uh, it's not true. We're, we're lying to you. We are actually, I'm going to pull back the curtain and reveal the inner workings of the Overthinking It podcast. Um, because we've been doing this long enough to know, uh, to know our limits. <laughs> Is that true? Do you feel like that's a true statement? Have we been doing this long enough to know our limits? However many, 400 and, and however many episodes that, that, that we've done this? You know? I'll say yes, because I opted out of doing the infamous post-Oscar podcast, which starts at about 12 midnight and ends at uh, around one thirty. So <laughs> I opted out of that. You're that weak, Mark Lee. You're weak. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> weak. <laughs> Um, no true Scotsman opts out of the opts out of the post Oscar <laughs> podcast. Um, we know that actually, if we were to um, if we were to try to record uh, an overthinking podcast on Sunday, which is a travel day for us, and is also the day after an enormous outlay of because you know it, the public part is just the uh, the public part is just the 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 party, but then there is the the uh, mandatory uh, after party uh, overthinker hang where we rekindle the the glory days of college by staying up really late and drinking an inadvisable amount. Uh, no, um, we're, we're, uh, we're just tired. We're, we're old and tired. So we are pre-taping this segment and uh, uh, this Overthinking It podcast. And this is an extraordinarily dangerous thing to do at the moment on a number of fronts. Because within the last 24 hours, the world has gone insane. Uh, I don't. I don't know where I'm living anymore. My Facebook feed will not shut up. And and Pete, I understand that you've had an, uh, a, a a similar experience as me. It's it's Wednesday, by the way, as as we record this. You've Pete, you've had a, a similar experience on social yeah, media. Yeah, every time you? I've opened my social media, my it's, anxiety it's insane, is isn't it? Right? Spiking. Yeah. Right, and it's, it's like, actually nuts. It's it's that thing that they say that the the they say that they're using behavioral psychology to get you to come to Facebook more by kind of giving you that little jolt every time you show up in the uh, every time every time you show up, and and that's been your experience too, right? Talk about it for a yeah. second. Well, yeah, definitely. It's it's that feeling where you read something and you're. You don't think it's true. You don't necessarily agree with the person who posted it, but you don't want to offend them. Things get very charged. You start worrying about the future, not just about you, but about the world. And then you eventually you have to say something because you just can't possibly comprehend why so many of your friends disliked Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely crazy. I, I I can't believe it. I absolutely. I, it must be some sort of scam. It must be some sort of some something must be happening behind closed doors that we don't know about for this many people. By which I mean two people, maybe three, <laughs> to not like 
Guardians of Galaxy Volume Yeah, that's two. that's what my social feed has been going crazy over as well uh, in the last in the last twenty four hours. It's the second act, isn't it? It's like they feel like the second act is a little slack. I feel like people there's there's a movement out there. And this is actually in a little bit of seriousness. I think there's a movement out there that resent that Marvel has become something of a subscription service with its movies, in the sense that you're sort of in for a penny, in for a pound to like go to see all of them. And I think that there's sort of a building resentment at people who are uh, feeling compelled to go and see these movies uh, when maybe they would rather do something else with the, with their time on a given time and sort of resent the money that gets spent on. Well, it, right? yeah, I'm, I'm just saying if you see all of the Marvel movies. Uh, the overthinking hit uh, membership lowest tier subscription is $50 a year, <laughs> which is less, right? Yeah. And I feel like we deliver, you know, not we don't deliver Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Pratt and, you know, um, cutting edge And CGI. Karen Gillian and, and yeah, and uh, Zo- I almost said Zoe Deschanel. No, Zoe Saldana. We That's definitely not do Deschanel. not deliver Zoe Deschanel. That is, <laughs> it is a 100% Zoe Deschanel free podcast. But, but, uh, but you know, if you, if you consider how many hours of entertainment you get, it's a much better investment to become a member of, of Overthinking it than to watch all the Marvel movies. And hey, you know what? If you, uh, if, when when you go to the movie, you buy like a large popcorn and a drink. Or if you go to one of those movie theaters that has like, you know, the fancy recliner seats and like maybe has a liquor license in the theater where they can sell you a pint of beer or something like that, you know, and say you're like me and you bring like three of those into the movie or something like that for you and a date, right? Like you can even buy up to the middle tier of the overthinking <laughs> it membership and get the, uh, the digital library. Uh, for less money than your Marvel movie uh, habit costs you. I'm just saying. Let me ask both of you guys a question, though, because I think that this is a question that strikes a little bit to the heart of this. For you, so I would define sentimentality, right? Sentimentality is the the elevation as a primary artistic value of the the creation and inspiration of feeling as sort of as sort of meaning as artistic purpose right in the audience right that's what i would define sentimentality as for you guys is it enough for a movie to be sentimental is sentimentality like a worthy goal of a movie uh to to sort of inspire feeling in you or to make uh to to sort of depict feeling and as such inspire feeling i have uh, a, i have a very, i have a long and involved answer to this so i'm going to let mark go first is it enough in in what regard well, so so for example, right? So take the movie. I mean, the first movie that comes to mind is like Marley and Me, which I've not actually seen. So I should. I, I was going to say. Example. I was going to say a dog's purpose. So yes, yeah, dog's, dog's purpose. I think so, you're, you're, so, you're, so you're, a dog's right. purpose has multiple purposes, right? <laughs> Ironically enough. <laughs> Uh, having not seen it, but knowing in general kind of what it's about, right? A dog's purpose is on one hand a dog movie, and as on the other hand, kind of a karmic Buddhist movie, right? It's supposed to be sort of about uh, reincarnation and about about kind of like uh, sort of you. I mean, I don't I don't know the explicit argument that a dog's purpose makes about the purpose of a dog because I've not seen a dog's purpose. Largely because of the negative ad, ca- the negative PR campaign waged against it by trackers from the animal rights groups. No, that's not true. I just, I just didn't go see it. Uh, the mo- movies where the dog dies are not movies I tend to go see. Uh, which, by the way, that website is amazing, where you can check where all the does. Is it does the dog die? Uh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do let's see. Let's see. Does the dog yeah, die? There, there's there's a website called DoesTheDogDie.com that ranks all movies with dogs in them. Uh, and gives you a little iconic representation of whether the dog lives or dies in the movie. And oh, okay. So this is check. this is on a this is a, a special case of a site called MoviesWhere dot com, yes. which is like movies where I guess like all kinds of things happens. Like, yeah, this is the only <laughs> page that they have that I'm at all interested. Oh in, no, no. Uh, let me let me read you just quickly. <laughs> let me read you some of the the movies where things uh, movies where a kid dies. Uh, movies where Sean Bean dies, <laughs> movies where the dog dies, movies where the mom dies, movies where there are bugs, <laughs> <laughs> movies where uh, they break the fourth wall, right? Uh, movies where they say the name of the movie. I mean, that's actually well, a very that's an important one. 
but uh, uh, but, uh movies but, movies where sentimentality is the overriding sentiment yeah sentimentality <laughs> sentimentality so, yeah. so so okay so to get back to a dog's purpose so a dog's purpose it has a worldview and, and a sort of spiritual message about life and about like how people ought to act toward each other how animals and people are related to each other there are ideas that are associated with it right um and there's also presumably form associated with it right like the different dogs might be similar or different to each other the way that it's shot might have aesthetic qualities that you might consider to be beautiful or not beautiful or interesting it might have sublimity to it right there might be um, one other another thing it might have going on is that there might be disparate ideas such as sort of enjoying life and also appreciating the eternal right that might be in conflict with each other in apparent conflict with each other but aspire to some sort of unity over the course of of the uh, of the movie like a poetical unity of those two notions would be another thing that an artistic project could do right. Uh, it, it could it could have two separate ideas and sort of bring them together in, in a sort of sublime uh, moment. There could be ironies to it. Have you guys seen Twelve Monkeys? Mm-hmm. That comes to mind as well. Twelve Monkeys is a movie that has some unities that come together. There's sort of separate things that are disparate and disparate tonally and symbolically that then sort of converge over the course of the movie. Uh, but A Dog's Purpose is also a movie where there's a bunch of fun and happy. There's a bunch of feelings that are associated with the dogs. It's a movie that has lots of dogs in it. And that's the promise that the movie makes is that if you go to this movie, you will see a bunch of dogs and then you have feelings that are associated with dogs. And the movie is going to use the dogs to make you feel things right. Uh for a lot of people, merely a movie that merely makes you feel things is sort of the chief thing it's trying to accomplish is is crass and sort of it's insufficient. Right. Uh, it, it can be disinteresting. It can be seen as manipulative or cruel. It can be seen as sort of cheap and unsatisfying. Uh, a lot of the times, if the feelings feel hollow, the experience in general might be might be particularly of not interest. Now, I don't think that these things are necessarily the case about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But I also think the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is like right in my wheelhouse, almost as much as Star Trek Beyond is like right in my wheelhouse, right? I don't expect everybody to, to like connect with its symbolism because the symbolism is like a bit of a stretch for the genre and all that stuff. But but Mark, does that make sense? Like the sentimentality of a dog's purpose is the feelings that you have about the dogs living and dying and the feelings that are inspired in you by the love of the dogs for their owners, right? Uh, yeah. As it were. So, Again, so the having is, not is, seen a dog's purpose. Is, is it enough that a movie like primarily goes for that and like really puts yeah. all of the chips on that either um, you happy making you sad making you love making you cry that kind of thing i'm gonna say uh occasionally mm-hmm. right <laughs> that's that's a bit of a cop-out a cop-out answer uh you know because uh it's maybe because i'm a bit jaded in that like you know i've, I've seen so many movies and uh, i uh, wait for it overthink the movies that um you know, I'm, I'm looking for that little bit sort of something over the top um, where it, uh, you know, beyond just sort of, you know, eliciting emotion and, uh, you know, as you say, uh, cynically, uh, you know, exploits uh, or, or, you know, manipulates to, to craft emotion. Uh, I'm looking for something that is uh, clever or novel that engages the, the mind more than more so uh, than the heart. I mean, I want to kind of all the above sort of thing. Um, uh, that being said, you know, like I am uh, just completely like, you know, uh, a sixth grader when it comes to Star Wars, these new Star Wars movies that are rolling out that play heavily on sentimentality, in particular Rogue One um, with spoiler and all the all the all the characters dying at the end um so you know i, I certainly am that spoiler that. with plenty of warning in front of it by the way Mark. yeah you know you're listening <laughs> to this podcast come on if you haven't seen rogue one you're spoiled but and that's spoiling it uh you uh, i i don't know i have nothing for you um so you know I'll, oh uh, guys guys I'm by the way by that, the way but, uh, spoiler alert for rogue one on this podcast <laughs> Spoiler alert! We have declared a spoiler alert situation for Rogue One. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack. Many, you, if not strictly, I'm, all I'm, of I'm the characters in it die. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So, so yeah, that's my cop out answer. Is that sometimes, but not always. All right. So, Matt, what about your more involved answer? So, I used to watch uh, Inside the Actor's Studio when back when mm-hmm. I had cable before I before I cut the cord, and I I would enjoy this in my twenties because it's one of the only. Um, it's one of the only places in, uh, in like popular media where you can hear actors talking about acting as a craft, right? Like as, as something like carpentry that you can have a skill at, that you can be good at, that you can, that there is a kind of excellence in it and you can pursue that, you know, you can try to kind of make it, you can try to, to, um, uh, you know, increase your skill level or like hone your, 
hone your soul or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't watch it anymore, largely because I think it's gotten, they've kind of run out of all the good act, like all the actors have already done them. And now it's like inside the actor's studio with the cast of girls or something like that, which is like, you know, I, I think girls is a pretty good show. I think that like, uh, the writing is pretty excellent and, and, uh, it really sort of accomplishes its project very well. But I also think that none of the people on it have had a career, uh, long enough to be, yeah. you know, to be more than, than journeyman actors. Um, so, so I, I used to watch this all the time and I watched, uh, I watched the one with Jodie Foster and she, and, and Jodie Foster, you know, a fellow Yaley and like, uh, uh, like known as kind of a, a smart woman as, and, and a savvy, uh, woman as well as a, uh, a good actor. Um, and she's, uh, and and you know successful successful in her career as well um, because there are plenty of good actors who are not successful in their career for all kinds of reasons some of them just the luck of the draw and some of them like manifestly unjust and uh, so Jodie Foster was was talking about it and and she said something very interesting that has stuck with me for a long time which is that uh, being an actor. Uh, said Jodie Foster, is about crying at the cheesy parts of the movies. And uh, and that has stuck with me uh, th- these many years, this like decade and a half since I since I saw that on on cable, um, and the 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 idea of sort of emotional suggestibility, right, and very unsophisticated, uh, childlike emotional suggestibility has. Um, you know, has, has stuck with me, uh, both as a, a sort of description of an actor's job, right? Because like the, the, it is not a, um, it's not a, a pursuit that rewards intellectual attainment for its own sake. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, it is really much more about sort of being able to kind of access, uh, to access your moment to moment experience, um, on all levels, uh, as you go. And I, I have always been someone who cries at the, uh, who cries at the cheesy parts of the, the, uh, cheesy parts of the movies when the, like, when the dog dies or when the dog lives or when the dog is reunited with the boy and the boy wraps his arm around the dog because he just loves that dog so much, so much, <laughs> so much. He loves that dog. And like, you know what I mean? And like, and, uh, all that, all that kind of thing, right? Like, or, or when the parent says to the child, you did a good job, uh, or when there's a beautiful sunset or, you know, I don't know when certain kinds of string music come on, right? Like I, this is just a, a, a feature of my, uh, a feature of, of my movie watching. Um, so separate from that, I once heard a, uh, a studio executive, a guy named Peter Goober, uh, who was in charge of Sony uh, during some like uh, some heyday of I think like maybe the Simpson Bruckheimer you know it is we're getting beyond my level of historical knowledge but he was he was the chairman of Sony his, his name is Peter Goober um, on a uh, on a talk show uh, describe entertainment as the emotional transportation business and this is how this is how a studio head thought about. Uh, his job as you know as the kind of go no go go guy or the kind of ultimate authority on producing major uh, Hollywood movies, right? We're in the emotional transportation business. We're there to kind of take people from one place to another uh, emotionally. So this you want to transport the most emotion uh, for the least <laughs> amount of cost, <laughs> right? I mean, like as that, efficiently as possible, right? And that's not that's actually not a terrible way to describe describe good you know <laughs> like economical writing right like uh to tra- it transports the most emotion with the least uh you know with the least heavy heavy of a lift and so for me personally you know given my yeah given the fact that you know longtime listeners of the podcast will know that i have a master's degree in acting and work from time to time in the theater uh the theater uh and and that um so, you know, I sort of come at this question as a practitioner as well as, as, a, as a, uh, an appreciator, right? Yeah, uh, you're not only the club president, you're also the client. <laughs> I'm also a member. 
Also, I've lost my hair. But the um, <laughs> the uh, the answer for me is that yes, like a lot of a lot of the time, the kind of the sentimentality, the sort of uh, even if it's cheap. I mean, it's better if it's not cheap, right? Like it's better if it's really earned um, and not not just through button pushing, uh, but also through like shorthand button pushing, but also through like creating. Uh, believable characters and like, you know, getting you to invest in them over the course of a story so that, you know, when they rise, you rise emotionally and when they fall, you fall emotionally, right? Like it's better when it's like that. But, uh, it, that, that is sometimes sort of enough, um, enough for me. And, and by the way, we're, we're talking about like entertainment now. Um, I, you know, I'm also well known on this podcast from people who have listened to a lot of, uh, to a lot of episodes is the guy who tells people not to watch cable news. Right. And, and the, the, I would just say in that connection here, be wary of anybody whose business model involves you feeling something very strongly. <laughs> you know <laughs> right like like uh because you have to look at those states that that it is in their interest to provoke in you and ask uh is this really in your interest right and in the case of artistic works a lot of the time the work uh gives you some sense of compassion or some sense of sort of fellow feeling with your your fellow human or your fellow creature because the 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 dog loves the child the dog loves the child so much, right? And like you can sort of participate in that love, and in doing so, your conception of love is expanded, and and uh, you know it's a it's a sort of worthwhile, um, it's a sort of uh, morally worthwhile use of your uh, use of your fifteen dollars and and yeah, three beers and a large popcorn. Uh, but uh, but if they if they just want to make you feel outraged all the time. Then you know you don't like. Then you know I don't know. I would say be a little a little bit wary of that. Pete, does that? I mean, is this an adequate answer to your yeah, to your question? It's a great it's a great answer. And this this um, it may not live up to the question in terms of sophistication, but if I've communicated an, anything, I hope I've communicated that 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 dog loves that kid so much. <laughs> so because okay so. Making people feel things is a complicated sort of MO to have, right? And, of course, we see it a lot in things like politics. We see it a lot in things like business. We see it. I I wanted to sit there and be like, Matt, what's it going to take for you to go home in this Jeep Wrangler right now? Like, (laughs) top off. You got the big chunky wheels. You're going to be kicking up the dust and rolling down the street. I could just see you in this Jeep. Just get in the Jeep. Get in the Jeep. That kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah. So, but of course, we are also trying to make people feel things. So, that's, that's, uh, I guess I should say that, um, you know, <laughs> I actually had a car salesman. Disclosure. <laughs> I had a car salesman use that line on me, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that involved. It was, Matt, what's it going to take to get you into this hybrid Camry? <laughs> is this the famous hybrid camry yeah is it well i i advised you after i got a hybrid camry i liked it so much that when you when we did the car cast hashtag car cast yeah. i you know i said pete you could do worse than just get a hybrid camry i know it's a good idea totally a good idea but but no you didn't you didn't do it you did the uh uh you you got a subaru which you've now driven back and forth to new york <laughs> Actually, I have not driven my Subaru back and forth to New York because my Subaru passenger airbag is under the Takata recall. So I have to drive Miss Daisy, anybody else who happens to be in my car. So instead we took uh, – well, we will when we actually do do this. We will take my fiance's Honda CRV. Um, but this, this, this makes me think about something specific, which is – that making people feel things, while it can also be a, a sort of commodified, you know, a, a business, right? The the emotional transportation business is a business. The the artists, the the actors' craft of using their own emotional sensitivity to reflect back to an audience a certain sort of part of a composed whole, right? These are different roles that making people feel things can have. But there are other roles, and one that comes to mind, especially because I just got engaged and because this is the summer, is is things that are sort of like rituals that that make you feel something, right? That have a goal 
of making you feel something in order to kind of signify or seal or make important some sort of uh, event or change or choice. And I've heard that one person on this podcast is going to 15 weddings this summer. Is that it? Is it 15, Mark? Is it is it 17? How many how many weddings are you going to this summer? It's it's 20. No, it's 20. It's it's, it's six. I've six, been to okay. one already. And I'm, <laughs> I've been to one already. And I have five more. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I tried to make everybody feel more intensely on your behalf before uh, kicking it over to you for this. Well, uh, it was it was it was a bit of a is that a pathetic drop? Is that uh, the right use of that term that we often use like to use on this? It's kind of a a a a, 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 a the opposite of heightening a reduction. <laughs> Okay, so I I hear the term pathetic drop a lot. I feel like I have to confess that I don't really know what it means. Is it the same as anticlimax? We are uh, definitely looking for Matt Rather for an answer to this question. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's the one that uses that phrase. Fair enough, fair enough. but uh, but yeah, at any rate, regardless. Sorry, guys. Of whether- I was I was just distracted because that dog loves the kid. So <laughs> did you did you did you just put Air Bud on TV while we were podcasting? <laughs> yeah, it's his uh, dad died. That's why he has Air Bud. His dad died. Oh it's a relatively sad movie. People don't know this about Air Bud. It's pretty serious. But anyway. <laughs> Please, uh, sorry, I, I I did mean to interrupt the the wedding discussion. Please continue. No, no. Okay. Well, I mean, do you want to answer our question, Matt? Which is, what exactly is a pathetic drop? Oh well, it it has to do with the shift in tone, right? Right. From uh uh from a kind of a tone of of great solemnity to a to a tone of relative frivolity. Okay, so it isn't the same as an anticlimax where you're going from something of great importance to something of lesser importance with sort of an ironic twist. It's when things get notably less serious. It's, yeah, it's, it's, pathetic, it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of like a pathetic drop is sort of like from the sublime to the ridiculous. Gotcha, you know? gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, Mark, uh, yeah, well, pathetic drop it to you. So. <laughs> I'm not sure that's totally fair to our buddy. You know, it's, you I'm know. far more ridiculous than Mark, and he is far more serious than I am. He's far more sublime than I am. So, All right, uh, so, but, so, yeah. so we're talking about heightened emotions, the emotional transportation business of weddings, in a way, it seems like, right? Is that fair to say? Is yeah, that that's what I was with interested in hearing about. Yes, emotional transportation. Sure. All right. So there's a lot of different places to go with this. Um, and, you know, and, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because it is May as we were recording this. I know it's a Wednesday, but it's still May. Um, and uh, for large parts of the United States, it's uh, peak wedding season, right, in the summer. So people often get married. Um, and I went to a, a blowout wedding this past weekend um, before recording the last podcast, before watching Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and there was emotional transportation going on all over the place. Um, the ceremony itself uh, was had all the sort of, you know, um, transportative elements that you would imagine, all the sort of the ritual with the music and the vows and all that kind of stuff. Also in a church, we may want to loop back to that in a moment, by the way, um, how I think probably with the, uh, America becoming increasingly secularized, it's less common to have a wedding in a church or at least in like in, in new york city uh where uh, where this wedding was um so there's that aspect of it as well too in a lot of ways though i'm more interested in talking about the wedding reception and all the emotional transportative aspects of that um ranging from speeches to of course the music so i'm I kind of go in reverse order here because the music you know the 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 dance at the reception was the last part of the evening and uh, oh, this is actually perfect for this um, because the the live band. Oops, sorry. The the bang and bang and live band at the end of it, uh, uh, they ended on, of course, don't stop believing, right? Um, and if uh, if we're talking about emotional transportation, uh, don't stop believing is a fantastic example of this. We might have talked about this on the podcast before, but it, but it's worth rearticulating here if we have if we have articulated it before which is that don't stop believing is a song entirely about build up right it kind of goes like verse 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 and then at the end it's like chorus 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 um and in that regard it is reflective of the uh, of, uh it is a, an emotional journey if you will um and it's it's appropriate to end on it because it's of all this build up build up build up build up uh to this uh explosive moment at the end um which just it had everybody going going nuts right it really does take you to a different place to a different state of mind i think i actually at the after uh the band uh closed and everybody cheered and started to move to the after party i turned to a friend next to me and said i kind of live for this 
this being that uh, particular the where I had arrived after that emotional transportation. Um, so uh, that was uh, kind of the, my most my, my overriding sentiment and feeling uh, from that wedding. There's a lot of different ways we can take this conversation from there, but maybe let's at least start with that music. Do you guys feel like uh, don't stop believing at the end of a wedding reception uh, has that effect or is there maybe something else going on? Well, it would, uh, the, the positioning, like the sequencing is the interesting thing to me in that, in that thing. Like, um, look, I, of course you play don't stop believing at a wedding reception because what are we animals? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but like what, why would you play it last? You know, I, I feel like that's a song that's a, you end up amped up at the end of that, uh, at the end of that song, unless you, I mean, unless you feel like you achieve your apotheosis and at the end of that song, you are like, uh, tired and spent, you know, just a shell of your former self, like lurching off the dance floor, uh, you know, ready to eat some cake or something the the uh seems like you would want to do that earlier in the evening when you're trying to like when you're trying to like crank start the party right really i was thinking that's more sort of a um um whatever that, that earth wind and fire the september song um or michael michael jackson um, those september or yeah september <laughs> uh, those are the things that uh that energize and uh and get people out on the dance floor uh but don't sort of exhaust and expend all their energy which is certainly how i felt uh at the end of don't stop believing that's just don't me, stop maybe. believing is tricky because the events of the song never reach climax there's this deliberately absent climax and of course no spoilers, but you know, I'm sure you play the song, and then two thirds of the way through the song, all the lights turn out, and the music stops playing, and everyone wonders whether something is broken, and then realizes that something artistic has happened. Uh, but no, no, no. But like, think about it. the The idea of the small town girl, right, living in a lonely world, she's on the midnight train. The city boy, born and raised in South Detroit, he's on the midnight train. There's an expectation by the fact that they're both on the midnight train that they're gonna meet, right? And, and I guess they have what a singer in a smoking room, a smell wine and cheap from him for a smile. They can share the night. It goes on and on and on. Um, some will like, win and some will lose. Some are born to sing the blues. All the well, movie never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. It's, it, it's interesting, right? Because it either and, and don't stop talking about sort of uh, unities that come together from just replaces either the small town girl and the city boy consummate their relationship at the very beginning of the song. Because they both get on the train, they they uh, there's they go to a smoky room. There's smell, there's wine. Uh, they smell cheap perfume. I don't know why the small town girl is is wearing cheap perfume if she's living in a lonely world. But at any rate, they then and they smile and they share the night. Right, that could be what happens in the song. But the line is for a smile they can share the night. Like it's possible, possibility, right? right? And so the question is, do the do, do the two people at the beginning of the don't stop believing actually sleep together or is it the idea that they might, right? I think it's uh, the latter. Yeah, I've always interpreted it as that, at least. Well, yeah, because like yeah. that line emphasizes the thing that's important in that line is the low cost, right? Like it's it's saying that that the for the the what you have to trade for sharing the night is not like you know a fancy dinner, right? It's not like a Hawaiian vacation, you know. It's a smile, and that 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 is a, a, you know a relatively low low investment uh, with potentially you know it's a it's a high risk high reward. Movement. Maneuver, right, like because the ROI is potentially very high uh, on that on that smile. I mean, that's that's how I've read that line anyway. Yeah, so you could think about it as sort of two uh, electrodes, right, like a cathode and an anode, as it were, of like increasing charge and decreasing distance where the gap that they have to jump gets smaller and smaller and the potential energy of the jump gets larger and larger. Right. Uh, um, so I guess that would be I don't want to confuse resistance and amperage obviously this wouldn't work with electricity unless you were you know in concrete or something but this idea that you could bring the the spark like impossibly close before it fires off with like great intensity that's sort of the energy of don't stop believing right and and this and i've i don't know i used to love this song 
like back when I back when I really got on my journey kick, which was like back when I had to buy a, a couple of journey CDs because I had not fulfilled my Columbia house obligations <laughs> back in the day because I wanted the best in entertainment, but what didn't that want was, things so, they sent me every so month. There was a, there was a pathetic drop right there. I mean, uh, like, yeah, sorry. I've, I've been, uh, internet researching beth- uh, bathos, uh, since you, since we, uh, since we talked about it, I'll, re- I'll return to it because I felt bad about missing the question the first time. No, no, and I no, felt like okay. I had to add some value, but, but there you are there. Pete Fenzel is wanting just like living just to find emotion and yeah. to fulfill his obligation to the Columbia house record subscription <laughs> that, that he signed up for, for in the, in the back of a rolling stone or something like that. Right. right. And, and the question is, well, don't you ever find emotion? Like don't like, if it's a night out at a bar, I can understand how Don't Stop Believing is sort of the statement of purpose of what you're doing and how that potentiality and that energy can really fuel what's happening. Because when you're at a bar, there's this idea that something might come after the bar, right? right. And if it comes after now, and again, maybe maybe this sounds silly to say this about a wedding, because you know, it's we're not like it's not like Game of Thrones where there's like the bedding after the wedding. Like it's not like waiting for the wedding night. You don't sing Don't Stop Believing to the couple at a wedding. <laughs> and, and that's because a, that uh, they might find each other. Yeah, like, that's a that's a pathetic drop. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> Up top. <laughs> it's like he could find her, she could find him for a smile. These two people who just invited all of their friends and relatives to dance the electric slide with them, they could sleep together. It could happen, people. And it's like, actually, they probably already did. I hate to break it to you, but like this potential energy, like there's an energy of in in, in modern weddings, there's an energy of satisfaction. In fact, they might even play satisfaction uh, from by the Rolling Stones. Although satisfaction is also a song about not getting satisfaction. Yeah. Um, yeah, but all the good songs are about not getting satisfaction, right? Like the the point of the point of uh, the point of music is to get you to listen to more music, right? Like the the point of music isn't to complete music, you know, isn't to like <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't like the the song to make all other songs unnecessary. The point the point is that there's more, right? There's more. I actually I actually, I actually managed to get one of the old Cray supercomputers that was used <laughs> to make Donkey Kong Country, uh-huh. and I've converted it so that it just plays Here I Go Again by Whitesnake, right? And what it does is I've managed to make it infinitesimally increase the volume at the end of the song, at which point I realize that the repeat, the repetition that sort of fades and fades and fades is actually asymptotic. And if you can infinitely increase the, the magnification of that sound, the, I've so far the song has been playing for five straight years, right? Here I go again on my own. And I know that at some point, it's either an irrational song that will sort of continue uh, without resolving forever, <laughs> or at some point it's a rational song, and at some point it will have a conclusion, right? And something will be completed, and something will be done. Um, no, it's I mean, it's, I mean, it's here of, I go again, here I go again, here I go again, dot dot dot, repeating, right? Like that. No, no, it's here I go again, here I go again, here I go again, dot dot dot, dot dot dot. I got there. <laughs> I mean, speaking, I of songs without res- speaking of songs without resolution, uh, this is a bit of a music theory detour here, but uh, Don't Stop Believing is a perfect example of this because uh, the chorus or, or the sort of the main figure, the repeating chord progression of the song ends on the four um, uh, or the A chord. It's hard to describe this without, uh, in, in layman's terms. It basically, um, you know, the chord progression typically go uh, to resolve from a five to a one. Don't stop believing. Never does that uh, over the course of the oh. entire song. Yeah, and the cor- the chorus ends on a five, also, right? Da 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 in the night. Don't no, it ends on a four. Oh yeah, but the okay, the melody the melody note is a five, so it's like a oh, sus two. Melody or a, note is a five, sure, but the the chord progression the, underneath it is a four. But it goes back to one. Uh, without that sort of uh, traditional satisfying five to Does one. Does it? Uh, uh, you know, it's been a while since I listened to "Don't Stop Believing." I... Tr- trust, <laughs> trust me on this. No, no, no but uh, no, I, be- I believe I, you. I, I am an expert on this. Song. <laughs> well, right, yeah, because you go to all these weddings. The, my question to you, uh, in your expertise, was going to be: Does the song end with a board fade, or does the song end on some kind of strong resolution? It ends on a fade, on a board fade. Yeah. So there. It's so yeah, that's also you can't like, do that at a, at a live performance. At a wedding, and so they just ended on the on the one on the E, and just a big uh, you know stadium rock finish. Yeah, usually like don't stop, 
right? And that's like you end on stop, ironically. And at the end up, you stop after you say don't stop. Yeah, that's that, how like life. This is such a weird song. I mean, like, <laughs> that's why I wanted to, to, to spend a little time talking about it. Um, it's this odd paradoxical thing. Oh, by the way, another fascinating observation about Don't Stop Believing is that it's kind of, you know, constant build, 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 build to this uh, exuberant cl- climax. I guess you could say also um, is reflected in the song's own history itself and that i guess it was a modest hit back in the 80s when it came out but uh, its popularity built and built and built and built over time and uh you know especially after the, the sopranos used it um it, it kind of just fully uh you know uh, became ingrained as this modern classic in the in, in the modern music catalog i mean like so in in the context of a wedding i think it has an interesting function i think sort of weddings have an interesting function because think about weddings for a second like what uh what makes the the wedding legitimate right like if you consider that that a wedding is a is a uh, a ritual with some social utility right it's supposed to accomplish something like before the wedding the the couple are not married after the wedding they are married so so what makes the wedding effective and when you think about it it's uh, successful performance of the ritual. It's not the emotional state that anyone is in, right? Like the vow, whether you're like whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood when you make a vow, a vow is a vow. It's binding on you, right? Like it's it's uh, it is um, sentimentality independent. It is sentiment independent, I should say, um, and yet. We want, like, you know, the bride and groom to, to, or the, the two brides or the two grooms, or that we want the, the two people, uh, making the, the vows to one another, like, to cry during the vows. There's something satisfying about that, right? Like, we want to have this sense of, of being emotionally transported, ending the, the night of dancing sort of spent, right? Like, it gives us a sense of moment. Uh, it gives us a sense of significance of the event. Right. It gives us um, uh, some kind of satisfaction uh, that really has nothing to do with the efficacy of the ritual, you know, because the ritual is effective whether or not you cry. The The ritual is effective whether or not. You dance, you know, um, and you know. There's some weddings that are very solemn affairs. There's some that are just like too long. There's some, you know, there are all kinds, and they all are weddings. They all successfully, you know, accomplish uh, the successful ones. All successfully accomplish their task without respect to the to the affective story of of what the wedding is. So this is like this is again this is another kind of emotional transportation question because like we we you want to be emotionally transported and in a wedding unlike a, a bit of entertainment right like sentimentality is a is a longed for but not a necessary uh condition to um you know to to make the thing satisfying and successful right i think so uh although although it's tough right because there's the other aspect of to go back to sort of Jodie Foster, if the actor if the actor's job is to cry at the cheesy part of movies, then there's this repetition that's happening, where a reflection, right, where the where there's the role, and then there's sort of the emotional response to the role, and then that gets internalized and communicated and reflected outward, and then that's also supposed to be emotionally consumed by sort of the person who's watching it, right? But it's not without translation. And so a wedding has a sort of a form to it, which can inspire sentimental reaction, even if it's not maudlin, right? Like, and by maudlin, I would say, uh, I I would refer to sort of the the very, very superficial uh, act of inspiring feeling by sort of showing someone a feeling that is so strong that you respond with the same feeling, like exactly what you see, right? Like somebody who's crying and you cry, right? Now, even more than the dog loves the humans so much, it's more that would be more like the dog eats the pizza while staring at the camera, right? Which maybe dogs shouldn't do. And then you eat pizza, and then you feel like the dog feels like like that's that's like taking up this bloated, scary. bloated. Yes, you feel like you have horrible <laughs> digestive problems because you shouldn't eat pizza. Uh, I don't know. Should dogs eat pizza? Take it to the comments. <laughs> they really shouldn't. No, it's too much dairy. <laughs> okay, go. You heard it here first, people. I don't think we heard it here first. Uh, but, 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 yeah. I think I think that there's a form. Like forms can inspire feelings. In addition to uh, depictions of feelings, inspiring feelings, right? And so, and it might also be based off of previous experience you've had with similar forms. 
right? Like if you have yeah, sure. So you're talking about you're talking about the spectators at a wedding now, right? Or are you talking about the the participants? Oh, so you okay? So you were saying that a wedding can be because because one of the things that seems to be true about weddings is that the participants, the people who are actually getting married, sometimes experience it the least. Right, sure. because they're so busy getting it done that they don't really get. I mean, Mark is the only one here who's married. This is actually. Uh, I'm getting married. By the way, this is this is a true statement. Yes, you're so busy yeah. getting it done, you don't you, you, the, the the feelings, the emotive aspects. A lot yeah. of it is kind of get, get her the, done the, up top. <laughs> Am I right? No, you're not. Right. So, yes, that that is what marriage is about. Right? Get, get that it done. Get that pathetic drop. Um, well, uh, this is actually a very good acting lesson. By the way, let me like let me just uh, you know uh, let me just detour us into an acting lesson right like um a lot of people think that acting is about creating emotional states uh emotional availability and kind of uh responsiveness is very important so that you know if the circumstances if the imaginary circumstances bring on an emotion you are not sort of so afraid of it or you're not so concerned with how you look or whatever that you're going to uh, uh deny or sort of um suppress that emotion but you're not uh, your aim is never uh, ought never to be i think the creation of an emotional state uh, as a spectacle for people to look at right like it's the uh, your your aim is always to accomplish something you know and it's in in 20th the theory of 20th century psychologically realistic acting it's called an objective like you have something that you want to do at a wedding you want to get married like you want to make a vow you know and get a uh, and get a vow back in you know a sort of one for one transaction i suppose uh and and uh and by doing that um as wholeheartedly and authentically as you can without trying to bring about uh, any particular emotional state in yourself but by just committing yourself to the objective of accomplishing whatever whatever you're setting out to accomplish for you know and it it helps if it's an important thing it, it's not like you know borrow 5 bucks from my buddy right like it's you know borrow 5 bucks because without it I'm going to starve and die or something like that and this is what we call state right um the uh uh by committing to that to accomplishing that thing and just uh presenting truthful behavior in service of accomplishing that thing you will bring about uh, uh the emotion in yourself and you'll bring about um uh, emotion in the audience right like when when uh, it's like what 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 pete says when people when you look at someone who is intending to feel something in order to make you feel something it feels gross right it's just it's the worst uh but when you look at someone who is just with everything that they've got, uh, trying against all odds to make something happen, um, then you know your heart goes out to them, and it's uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing at a wedding, and I think this accounts for the phenomenon that, that you're describing, where like the wedders. Uh, or the wed ease, I suppose, like uh, are um, just trying to get it done. There's uh, all this planning. There's family interests that they're trying to balance. There's you know uh, all an itinerary, you know a ceremony, vows that you've written, maybe all this stuff. Um, whereas the spectators are free to the spectators are free to respond in a more uh, uh, you know unconstrained kind of emotional way because they don't have any particular itinerary that that um that they have to keep so i mean i don't know your observation i think is also a um uh a decent lesson in in a particular school of acting training as well mark let me ask you a question sure if don't stop believing is a notably unsatisfying song or a song that that does not arrive at satisfaction can you think of a song that we would know that ends like very very much in satisfaction the, the one, the only one that comes to mind for me is probably not actually that from a music theory perspective, which is uh, the next episode by Dr. Trey, because <laughs> it ends with hey, smoke weed every day. Uh, and it, so it has like very much like a like a so almost a plagal cadence at the end. Right. Like, <laughs> which is like a church organ cadence. <laughs> it's sort of That's like a pretty good up. example from kind of a, a melodic orientation. Um 
uh, less so harmonically um, because, well, I mean, there's a whole other conversation to have yeah. about how harmonic and chords and, and harmonies are, are not so important in hip hop. Uh, but the hook there, the, the, the melody, you're right, it does resolve in a very satisfying way. I, I'm trying to, I, 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 when I approach music, I tend to think, approach it from the perspective of chord progressions because I'm a guitarist and that's also how I kind of play the piano as well is from the perspective of chords. And I'm frankly, I'm stalling for time here, trying to think yeah, of, you're uh, trying to some think of the really good, satisfying... Uh, uh, what you want is something that delays cadence for a long, long, long time and then has a strong arrival at one that makes you, you know what I mean, that just makes you like perk up and go... Uh, uh, perk up and go, wow. Um, d- uh, while you think while you think of one, I can say that once we were talking about uh, various kinds of EDM um, and we asked Jordan uh, Stokes, our resident music theorist, musicologist, to talk about dropping the bass, uh, to talk about the ontology of dropping the bass. And he uh, he opined, um, interestingly, that like dropping the bass uh, separates a song into two parts, right? Like the part before the bass is dropped and the part (laughs) after the bass is dropped. Uh, And those are the, those are uh, roughly speaking, the two parts are the part of anticipation and the part of satisfaction, right? Uh, And depending on how long, you know, depending on how long you can prolong the anticipation, uh, you know, the satisfaction is is much better. At least so goes the uh, at least so goes the theory. So um, I think that like this is built into a lot of this is built into a lot of this kind of music, right? Like music with a drop built in where uh, where you're like waiting, 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 waiting. Like, ah, there it is. You know, I don't know. In a in a in a more you know, straightforward rock and roll context, Mark, have you managed to think of something? Well, I mean, default when it comes to like, what is the best of anything in, in, in the rock and roll context? And my default answer is always pretty much going to be November rain. So I have to say November <laughs> rain. And then how do I work backwards from there to justify the thing that, uh, that has been proposed for well, November does, rain? November rain ends in a fade out, right? Or does it not? No, 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 no. It does oh. not end in a fade out. It, it ends, you know, of course, you know, after the, the, the major, section which is the, the, the major key section of the first two thirds of it the last third of it is the epic minor key guitar wailing guitar solo thing don't you need that you need somebody the the funeral scene in the music video if you will right um and it ends uh it, it it's satisfying in that it um it has this sort of like you know entire coda section to it which is distinctive from the rest of the song um it has a not sort of a traditional five to one uh cadence but uh flat seven flat five or seven five one uh, uh no 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 six seven one uh, cadence at the end of a minor key, um, and it slows down at the end, and it uh, hits yeah, its note, and the, the right. melody as well does this interesting thing in Slash's guitar, where it uh, it um, uh, transitions from sort of a dissonance into uh, uh, something that's more har- harmonically minor and compatible with with the rest of it, um, uh, and also ends with the with the, the rain sound effect as well. So you got that little free song at, at the end, of, which is a nice touch. What about what about uh, Jungle Land? Oh, Springsteen's Jungle Land, huh? Just because of the the down in Jungle Land and that, but the, it has a long piano coda. I was just thinking about other songs that have codas. Does a coda make us? What what is the role of coda in Satisfaction? Uh, is it denouement or is it? Is it about resolution? I think it's sort of afterglow. Yeah, I think it's denouement, right? I think it's like post-climax. Uh, you know, it's a it's a sort of post-climax, like uh, fa- almost fallout or or like a slow release, right? I mean, I'm asking the music theorists here. I don't know. In, I mean, I just, yeah, in I, I, in November Rain, like because. Uh, uh, in November rain, because there's, you know, the song ends and then there's the, the little riff that's, you know, da, 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 flat six, flat seven, da, 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 da. And then the, and then the, uh, slash guitar solo. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of strong, sort of strong arrivals of the tonic. I'm sure, I'm sure that in the comments we'll get schooled on, you know, <laughs> dozens of, of. Well, I'm just thinking if these. you're picking a wedding song, so, so, cause one, cause, you know, I'm getting married next year. And so picking a wedding song is one of the tasks. Yeah, choosing, idea- choosing the playlist is almost the, the most nerve wracking thing that you have yeah. to contend with, right? 
Yeah, I mean, Mark, I don't know how much you want to talk about your own wedding, but did you have a wedding song? Because I know you had a special song that I won't divulge about if you don't want to divulge about it. But did you have like a wedding song that you guys picked? Like the first dance song? Yeah, we did. I mean, Elton yeah. John, your song. So we had that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, but, you can uh, tell everybody this is your song. That song, right? Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Does that count as a wedding song? Is that what you're? Going yeah. Well, that's what I would describe. Because because when I think of a so here's the thing, right? As you described, so many rock songs in general and pop songs and, and pretty much any song. I mean, when you were talking about drops, I was thinking about uh, Trouble by Taylor Swift. Right. Which which is about Taylor Swift meeting Harry Styles and then having sex with Harry Styles and then regretting it afterwards, sort of, but not really. And and it's like, oh, that way that you described how the bass dropping makes the song be from about anticipation to about satisfaction. I was like, OK, so after the bass drops in trouble, that's when Taylor Swift and Harry Styles have had sex. Right. And before right. that is they haven't done it yet. Uh, and so their relationship changes over the course of the song. Um, but, but I, was thinking I mean, about, just yeah. just for a smile, you know. <laughs> but I was I was thinking about how so many songs that are really emotional, popular songs, hip hop songs, rock songs are about kind of unfulfilled desire. But when you're getting married, the desire is uh, fulfilled, right? Like at some point, one would hope this is not the moment of like, oh, man, what? this isn't like a romantic comedy where we want to manufacture some sort of reason why they can't be. It's like, oh, they're going to get married. But oh, no, he has to leave on a plane. No, you don't want that to happen at your wedding. right? You want everybody to sort of arrive at where they're going. Um, and so thinking about songs that have not just an anticipation, but an arrival, right? Um, both sort of thematically and musically is something that kind of preoccupies me. I mean, there's a long time coming as we wait, as you know, my wedding isn't for another like year and change. So we have a long time to suss it out. But, uh, but it's, I'm just trying to think of, uh, of like instances of love songs that are satisfied. Right. Like, I mean, you know, not like you're still the one cause we're not, we haven't together that long. Right. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, super super sated right like a kind of song that just seems to lift its head off the couch before getting back down um uh, what about is, you 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 really uh, uh that's a tall order pete like you're really looking for like the perfect wedding song that like is sort of the appropriate level of satisfaction and uh oh, for lack of a better word consummation of the yeah, relationship but like it arrives it uh it sort of uh, you know, it doesn't leave anything um, uh, hanging like that. Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, we're going to have to keep working on this. this yeah, but I mean, I have, we'll, I mean, we'll you know, it's not right. It's not like, like uh, you know, just as a song is not going to end music, like the, the marriage is not going to end the relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? And by end, I mean, like, make it arrive at a perfect state that is then free from, you know, free from change. Right. Like every every marriage is funny. It's like a, a marriage is a consummation. And I mean that without the, the like the sexual connotation. It's a it's a. Um, uh, it's an arrival, but it's also a departure, right? Like, and that's that's a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. That's it's sort of an interesting thing, right? Like, it's it's sort of the it's one of those life it's one of those life moments that signals like a passage. It's like a drop, you know, rather yeah. than you know, rather than being. Uh, uh, rather than being the end of a song, the kind of the the strong satisfying arrival. Uh, at the end, yeah. uh, it's like uh, it's it's the midpoint sort of or it is a midpoint. This is a point in the middle because it's neither beginning nor end, but it's both at the it's both at the, the same time. It marks a passage rather than marking a, a, a resolution necessarily. Yeah. And, and lest, lest lest I be mistaken, I was not actually suggesting that Jungle Land by Bruce Springsteen would be a good wedding song. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> no, right. Well, I don't know for Pete. It's you know, it's, it work. When I see this week, it was when I see Sarah this weekend at the uh, the party. The um, uh, I'm going to ask her what you she better thinks behavior. Of, you should behave yourself. Is what you should do. I'm going to think. I'm going to ask her what she thinks of Jungle Land as being your you know your couple song, right? Like the the most important song in the in the wedding. Not actually even used in the in the reception used in the like the liturgy of the wedding right like this 
<laughs> well, you know what? It's it's fortuitous that we're inside, but if we weren't, we would all be in the shade after that conversation. So, because it would be thrown at all of us. <laughs> um, well, guys, I was like, I was a little worried. I said it was sort of treacherous to record a, a podcast because the the you do, you don't want to talk about anything topical because the world has gone crazy over over the last twenty four hours. What with everyone posting such terrible things on Facebook about not liking Guardians of the Galaxy, and and. <laughs> And who knows what further revelations about Guardians of the Galaxy are going to come out between now and the point where this podcast uh, this podcast posts on uh, on on everyone's podcatchers. So I'm I'm glad we managed to to find to find something to talk about. I, I think the best thing we can do uh, is not to arrive at any kind of strong resolution, not to uh, go uh, to any sort of moment of decisive arrival, but instead just to admit that the podcast goes on and on and on and on. The great conversation goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, and and uh, we go on and on and on, even between episodes of this podcast uh, at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>